Welcome to the Gateworld podcast. Welcome to episode number 68 of the Gateworld podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about the Sci-Fi Channel's hit series Stargate Universe. Tonight our main topic of discussion is Earth, last week's brand new episode of Stargate Universe. Once and always we're talking about the new episodes and we're coming up on the home stretch of this run of episodes. We've just got a few more until the mid-season break. But before we get to that, we have another topic to talk about. David, you brought this up. Yeah, you sent me the link. What was it last night? Maureen Ryan from the Chicago Tribune. She has a blog on entertainment. And Brad Wright wrote her back on the review for the V pilot. I guess um, he interpreted a comment that she said in the V review as, what do you think it was? Like just a, a slam to Stargate Universe? And he took offense with that? Yeah, she kind of jabbed at Stargate Universe in her review of the V premiere, uh, and she had previously reviewed Stargate Universe and did not give it a particularly favorable review, which uh, disappointed me a bit. Maureen is is a friend of Gate World, and she has been a big fan of Stargate SG-1 and, to a lesser extent, Atlantis, so I was mm-hmm. certainly hoping that she was going to like Universe as much as I mm-hmm. did. She didn't care for it, wrote a, a not-too-terribly-favorable review, And then the comment in her V review that Brad apparently responded to, posted a public comment on her blog site, was she said that Stargate Universe is a, quote, boring, poorly plotted, lamentably sexist mess. Brad had this to say, Maureen, I wish you hadn't given up on our show so quickly. I was surprised, considering your past occasional support of the franchise. You can't have seen the finished version of Darkness or Light because they weren't even close to being finished at the time of your review. I don't know what the network sent you. SGU seems to be a love-it-or-hate-it sort of show. You obviously fall into the latter group, but fortunately there are enough viewers and reviewers who think SGU is neither boring, poorly plotted, or sexist to keep us on the air long after V is just a letter in the alphabet again. Snap. Holy cow. Obviously he's favorable toward his show. Well, yeah, he's the co-creator of it. I don't think it's a jab back at V. I think it's a statement about the longevity of the Stargate franchise. Stargate's been going for 15 years, and Universe hopefully has many years ahead of it. And V, I mean, V's a big network show, and it had a great great numbers for its premiere, but I don't know. I don't have a problem with Brad being impressed with the work that he and his team are doing on Universe, but... You can't expect everyone to love it. I think one of her telling comments here, this is the quote that I pulled, you can certainly read yours in a minute, from her uh, response to him is, if there's anything I have a problem with, it's the idea promulgated by some of the show's defenders that people who don't like Stargate Universe just don't get it. I'm stunned by some of the condescending attitudes I've seen. It's frankly laughable to me, the idea that people who have issues with SGU just aren't smart enough to appreciate qualities such as complexity and ambiguity. I and many other viewers get what the show is going for. We're not failing to understand its intentions. We think SGU is in many key respects falling short of its own goals. And she goes on to mention like the women, how how the women portrayed in the show are mainly in service of the men or used anatomically as fine example with Honor Grauer's character in this past episode. This is a long piece, and I I commend people, whether they are, are fans of SGU or not, um, if you're not, I'm not sure why you're listening to us talk about it for an hour. But um, <laughs> uh, go and read this. She's got some some interesting critiques, and I certainly don't agree with everything she said. But, I mean, I feel 
you and I are pretty optimistic and pretty positive about Stargate Universe and have been all year long. So it's oh. it's kind of nice yeah. to, to get a little balance uh, from a professional television critic. I definitely don't agree with everything she says here. There's two things that I want to say here. I want to say that I, I kind of resonate with this last statement that you read, that in many respects SGU seems to be falling short of its own goals. I don't mean that as a slam on the show. I mean it as we're seven episodes in. And yeah. how long does it take any show to find its footing? Now, Stargate has always had an advantage in that they have years and years of production experience behind them and, and several members of this crew, uh, including writers who have been working on Stargate for 10-plus years. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a much stronger first season out of the gate than than most shows you'll see. But oh, I mean, look at SG One in the, in its first ten episodes. I don't yeah. think it could have survived on Sci Fi Channel like that. First season of SG One, you know, the first run of episodes in Atlantis season one. I I don't think there were many really sterling episodes there. Obviously, the classic example again is Star Trek: The Next Generation. Had a pretty atrocious first season. Shows have and to second have season to find their footing and. I'm excited to talk about Earth because I think that Earth is is a big step forward in SGU finding mm-hmm. its footing. And then the other thing I want to say is a lot of this article is about fan response to Universe, which I think is, is what you might want to get at here. There's a lot of debate on GateWorld, on the, the comment threads on our news stories, as well as on GateWorld Forum and elsewhere on the internet, about SGU and why people don't like SGU and... and you know, Maureen brings up this legitimate criticism. It's not because we don't get it. It's not because we just want to watch explosions. People are free to like the shows and dislike the shows. And I know that the, the producers have been very sensitive about this particular show because they think that it's so fantastic. And and I am enjoying the show very much. I mm-hmm. Like I've said to you, I'm I'm waiting for that moment where my ass leaves the chair and my fists are raised up in the air and I go, yes, yeah, I'm waiting yeah. for that touch that touchdown moment like in season 10 of SG-1 when the vortex swallowed up the Ori mothership. That hasn't happened yet. That's a great metaphor, and, and what it's been so far is really calculated uh, progression of downs, gaining yardage step by step by people who are really good at, at at doing this, knowing what they're doing in baseball, would be you know manufacturing runs versus a grand slam. Uh, we're waiting for the grand slam. We're waiting for the touchdown. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you can you can debate about things like is the show is the show sexist? How is its portrayal of women? Uh, how is it handling moral issues? Obviously, we had that big uh, big to do online when the sabotage spoilers came out for an upcoming mm-hmm. episode that we'll talk about uh, next year when it airs. In due course. But um, you know, watch the show and evaluate if it's sexist, how it's how mm-hmm. it's handling its female characters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Mo, I I think has has given the show a shot. A lot of people mm-hmm. were slamming the show on these issues before they had seen a single frame. Uh, and and Mo watched five episodes. Apparently, a couple of them weren't complete. But you know, she did her due diligence. She says in this article that she watched uh, the three hours of air that you and I saw, and then she she didn't feel comfortable writing a review yet, so she went back to the studio and asked for more and got what sounds like incomplete copies of Darkness and Earth, I think. I still wish that they would have a, a female writer on staff. Female writers are hard to find. I, I, I understand that, and you have to train them up like you train any writer up. But, you know, I, and I love going back to the Seinfeld analogy when Elaine walks into a Vietnamese nail salon and has uh, the Vietnamese women talking about her behind her back in Vietnamese. 
only women would write about that. There are certain things that only women will write about. And in sci-fi, you just don't get that much. The other quote from Maureen's uh, article that I wanted to read, she says, In my view, most of the people critiquing Stargate Universe are not trolls, idiots, or prudes. They're not small-minded Stargate fans who wanted a replica of SG-1, or dismissive TV viewers who just don't like sci-fi. They are, like me, people who very much wanted to like your show. And I think we need to acknowledge the fact that Stargate Universe is not everyone's cup of tea, and it's not every Stargate mm -hmm. fan's cup of tea, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, it's okay if you don't like this show. I hope, uh, just like we said before it premiered, I hope that you gave the show a chance, watched mm -hmm. several episodes with an open mind. But like you said, it's episode seven for crying out loud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the main discussion. Our main discussion tonight is the November 6th episode of Stargate Universe, entitled Earth. I was kind of surprised that this one was titled Earth. I mean, I would have titled it something else, because in terms of, like, the minutes spent on Earth, I guess it's higher than others, but e almost every episode has featured Earth in some way or another. Mm -hmm. Li life is going to feature Earth. Yep. This one was about Earth in the sense that it was trying to get back to Earth. It was it was sort of Universe's answer to the Atlantis Season 1 episode, Home, trying to harness this uh, power source to mm -hmm. get home. And this one was written by Martin Garrow, who uh, was a full-time writer-producer on Atlantis for five years, and then moved off to New York City to become even more awesome. He's working on a HBO show Bored called to Bored to Death, and uh, he wrote this one, and I think it was a good one. This episode is a very busy one. A lot of things happen. There's a lot of culmination. Yeah, which is refreshing. As, as slowly paced as things have been up until this point, it's refreshing mm -hmm. that there is so much jam packed into this. You see fallout from the incident uh, between Greer and Telford. We find out about uh, that, that uh, uh, Emily Young was aware of an affair between her husband and TJ. That really hits you in the face. The stuff with Eli, I mean, it's really balanced in terms of all the characters. Yeah, and you find out things like uh, Young was originally offered the command of the expedition. Not the yeah. Icarus space, but, but uh, the expedition to the ninth mm -hmm. Chevron destination. And he turned it down. And so I wonder if that's his flashback. Uh, the first time that we see Emily in air with Young's little flashback before he collapses... And she talks about, or he's he's uh, going off for a, a two-year mission or something like that. I wonder if the context of that discussion was his offer to to do this expedition, which he eventually mm. turned down instead mm. of instead of what we thought it was, which was taking head of of Icarus Base, which he accepted. There's a lot of threads going on here. There's uh, the the big plan. The IOAs come up with this big idea to uh, the idea that we discussed last week. Uh, yeah, did we call this or what? This is Joel Donghu calling in from Honolulu, Hawaii. I remember last week you said that it would really be interesting if they attempted dialing Earth or what would happen if they attempted to dial Earth while the ship was recharging inside a star. And it's, what's interesting is that that's what actually happened in this week's episode a couple of days after the podcast. So now we know that if we... Uh, run out of power, the destiny is going to go find a star and recharge itself. So it makes sense that 
maybe while it's in the star with access to this almost limitless amount of power, that, that maybe that's a good time to try and dial Earth. And that's exactly what they did. There's that. Telford uh, takes command and tries to enact the plan with his two scientist sidekicks. Meanwhile, back on mm-hmm. Earth, you've got Young going home and, and reconciling with Emily. You've got uh, Chloe and her friends. Uh, Eli goes home and sees Mom, but doesn't tell her who he is. Doesn't, and I saw that which one Which we also called. Didn't we, didn't we say that he should go home and, we and did. not tell her who he was? Uh-huh. She couldn't get it. She can't even follow an episode of Star Trek. I thought that it was interesting that they almost painted O'Neill as a bad guy. Did you notice that? Almost. And I saw a little chatter on on the site afterwards in in terms of people saying, this is is not how Jack O'Neill would act. I mean, what do you think? Is this our Jack? He is behind a desk now. He has been for several years. He has to deal with people like Carl Strom. He's the head of the IOA, apparently. Yes. He, he has different responsibilities. His Tamboron situations is going to change. Now, certainly, he invited Young to lead the expedition first, and Young passed it by, so he had to take Telford. But, I mean, the whole fact that he placed Telford under orders to reconnect with Earth in the event that things weren't going right, that he was instructed to cut and run. This is, of course, a man who follows instructions to a T. I don't think that he's a coward by any means. Um, Telford, you mean? Yeah. So I, I thought that that was really, really an interesting line to walk. And I think most people would disagree with me. But I wouldn't have any problem seeing O'Neill become a pseudo-bad guy. Mm, I can't see him as a pseudo-bad guy, but I think you've got to, with the realism of SGU, you've got to realize the realism of, realize the realism. That's good, Darren. <laughs> you've got to understand the realism of Jack O'Neill's character. He works in the Pentagon now. He works mm-hmm. in D.C., and he mm-hmm. is he's the head of Homeworld Command, which has now been officially established in canon as the name yep. of the office. He has different priorities. He's got different pressures on him than yeah. even when he was a, a commander of SGC. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the lines that he, he gives Young in this episode is, the president wants it done. Yep. And that's a pressure that is that is immediate on Jack. I don't think I can be the man. Yes, he can. Yeah, he's kind of the man now, isn't he? And a fun little wrinkle, which gave me the biggest laugh. Uh, the communication stone transmitters are interrupted when the when the destiny enters and exits FTL. Oh yeah, which gives a wonderful moment while oh, my Young is goodness. contemplating his relationship with his woman. Wasn't that fantastic? How disturbing was that? <laughs> oh my word, that was disturbing on so many levels. You didn't laugh. I was gasping. I was I had my hand over my mouth. I was just because you know, I mean, it wasn't just any moment in their their lovemaking. It was the moment and yeah. uh suddenly young pops back into the destiny and what is he going to do now? He's there for no, probably about it, 10 it, seconds it, and it wasn't young's expression. It was Telford's when he I know. Came back so there's so many his mouth off and there's so many layers to this. I mean, you think of it from Young's perspective, and Young is is has wow. got to be freaking out because he knows he hates this guy. He knows who's you know with his wife right now. Yeah. Think about and it from Emily's perspective, not necessarily knowing, but maybe finding out later. And then obviously the camera in the shot is right on Telford's perspective, and and boy, what a what a way to wake up in your own body. <laughs> We talked about that question. Uh, one of our callers brought up the the issue of 
using the communication stones while the ship is in FTL. Now we see that, that when it drops out or goes back into FTL, there's a little reset that happens to the stones. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wonder if maybe the stones are compensating for relativity or something like that in FTL. I wonder if it has something to do with the human-made base. The new little square light box that Earth apparently yes. reverse-engineered. So, yeah, there's that issue. Uh, but the body swapping, boy, that introduces a whole bucket full of moral issues, which, again, is going to come up in the second half of the season in this episode, Sabotage. But here, it's rearing its ugly head for the first time. Mm-hmm. What responsibilities do you have to the body that you are occupying. Chloe goes and gets drunk. Uh, Young obviously goes and uh, puts Telford's body to good use. Oh, yeah. Chloe's getting drunk. You know, that other point, she's in a body that is much smaller than she is. If you look at the guy who takes over uh, Eli Wallace's body, she can't tolerate alcohol like Chloe Yeah, can. she's kind of a lightweight. She gets in her body and drinks herself to oblivion when she finds out that her best friend is now with her ex-boyfriend. And she can't handle it, <laughs> which was a great Chloe moment. I think it was really funny. I think I want to go over there and punch him in the face. <laughs> yeah, what was telling to me, what I liked about the Chloe stuff was when Eli's helping her get into the car outside the nightclub, and she talks about why she drinks. Drink, you know, it, it usually helps me. I don't know. I don't remember what she said. It usually helps me uh, relax, and then relax, and it makes him dizzy. Something yeah. like that. And uh, you know, look at her mom. In Air Part 3, her yeah. mom is, is drinking like a fish and mm-hmm. obviously has some problems, and, and Chloe is talking like a pre-alcoholic. What do you think about the, of the beats in the episode that dip into alternate reality? There's one at the very beginning with TJ and Young, and then Chloe and Eli has one with Chloe in the car. Do you think they're tricking you by letting it go somewhere and then pulling you back, or do you think it's fun? The first one I thought I liked because it was giving us, I think, some true insight into Young... And his, his past relationship, apparently, with TJ. The second one, with Eli in the car, I felt they were deliberately... Playing with us? Yeah, just playing with us, and, and I, I didn't like it. Eli has a crush on her. Eli wants her. So I can understand where he's coming from with this. You know, he doesn't want to be the good friend. Oh, you're, you're, you're such a good friend. He doesn't want to be a good friend. He wants to be loved by someone. I thought that discussion was a great moment. And then he goes and, and at the end of the episode uses the keynote to kind of spy on her a little and, and mm-hmm. discover the fact that she's holding hands, apparently, with Scott. This is about as far as I want to see the uh, I'd really like to be more than friends and the cute girl only thinks of me as a friend storyline. I think that's pretty much done. We're skipping around the major issue in this episode here. Young has lost his command. And I think we both kind of thought about that, you know, in terms of if you could permanently get someone off the ship, how would you go about doing it? That way is to trap him when he gets to Earth and prevent him from turning off the stones. Mm-hmm. So he's stuck on that side, and then Pelford's on the other side, in command of the ship to do whatever he wants to do. And now they're going to take the ship into a star and do what we suggested was to dial home. The first thing that uh, Telford does when he gets to the ship and gets in command, I love. Put Greer in jail. He puts Greer back in, in confinement, which adds to a nice little character scene that's not really part of the episode, not part of the driving plot, but it's Stargate Universe, so we get it instead of having it hit the cutting room floor, which is when when Lieutenant Scott goes in and talks to Greer about this, and Greer's basically telling him, 
you should go turn off the communication stones because mm-hmm. Young is our here. commanding officer. And Matt's he has a loyalty to Everett Young, and, and Scott's saying, no, it doesn't matter. Yeah, he's he's got to follow the chain of command. So, yeah, Young gets uh, relieved of his command. We don't know for how long because apparently they decided to do it when Chloe and Eli were also using the stones, so they're stuck mm-hmm. too. Yeah, I guess they can't be turned off individually, can they? No, and, and from the looks of it, I mean, if you want to keep Young... Young's consciousness trapped on Earth, then the result is you're not going to be able to use any stones anymore, I would think. You see it at the beginning when when Young says, I will take this under advisement, (laughs) what you want me to do. He's clear across the universe. And then at the very end of the episode, the last scene at Homeworld Command, it is clear that this guy is in control. He has oh, made that's it so clear much of what this is. Yeah, you're right. It's threaded throughout this episode. That he said, you know, after much consideration, my crew has decided to maintain contact with Earth, because you and your sorry asses are subject to us checking in. Yeah, that's a ballsy thing to say. It we is. We have decided to stay in contact with Earth. They say nothing, and he's going to risk court martial if they ever get back to Earth. He is going to risk losing everything. Uh, yeah, he already has. He, he Early in the episode, he said to O'Neill, whatever the ramifications for me personally are, I'm not following your direct orders. I am I am uh, going to talk to my people about this and see what they want to do. I was really surprised by that. And that's where O'Neill said, you know, it, this is not a democracy. You are in command of that ship. Um, yeah, and that's not Jack O'Neill. You know, even the old O'Neill would never... I mean, it's sort of in the spirit of Jack O'Neill, but I can't, I can't see Jack ever responding that way to what is effectively a direct order. Has he ever mm-hmm. done something like that? Uh, Under Hammond or, or someone else? No. Hi, this is Dave calling from Montreal, Canada. Uh, you know, generally I really like this episode, but I didn't understand why they had O'Neill go so completely out of character. Um, I can see that the, uh, you know, the, the government or even the military putting people at risk by implementing a plan before it's properly researched and safe. But Jack? You know, Rush said all he needed was a couple of months to manually check the systems and implement the plan properly. And O'Neill backing this uh, plan before it's, you know, before it's ready and before it's safe, it's just so far out of character for him that it didn't make sense to me. Did I miss something here? I think Jack ultimately recognized the greater good and, you know, that he's a soldier and he's responsible for following orders. That's the point of chain of command, is, is to be cut out of decision-making. But I like where Young is going with this. I think it's going to make it really interesting. Yeah, he's boiled down his priorities now. He knows what is most important in his life, and it's to get home to his wife. And I think he's basically ready for his career to be done. What about Ray's relationship with Carl Strom? Sounds like Ray was placed on IOA latrine duty out in the middle of a of a radioactive rock in the Milky Way galaxy. And she, she gives this indication that, you know, if it was up to Strom, he would not have been stuck with her. I don't think it was ever his intention for her to go through that gate uh, to destiny. She was just the HR lady on the base. Yeah. There's some history between her and the IOA there. Yeah, she says she's been passed over for promotion several times. Strom makes a good point, which is you wouldn't be at an off-world post if we didn't have some confidence, confidence in you. In so you. she can't be the bottom of the barrel as far mm-hmm. as IOA reps go. Well, and you notice, like typical IOA, the crew, of course, is important to us in getting home, but the ship surviving is important, too. You know, I mean, he wants that ship. Yeah, and interesting, uh, interesting suggestions as to if the plan works. Uh, there's one suggestion about Rush. Uh, you know, we're not convinced that Rush necessessarily wants, wants, to wants to come home. And then I think it was Telford 
talking to Rush back on the ship. Do you not want this plan to work because you're not sure if they're going to let you come back? I think Rush has got it in his mind that now that he's out on the Destiny, he's free to pursue his own scientific... I mean, I don't know what is what it is that he wants to do out there. Yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's one of the things that they need to address at some point. Why did he want to go? I'm sure we'll figure that out. He's, he, as far as we can tell right now, he's just in love. He's in love with the Destiny and mm-hmm. just wants to live happily ever after with her. And if other people are around, I don't know, but does, does he want to get rid of the others? Does he want to be by himself on the Destiny, flying through I space, having grand adventures, meeting evil Asgard? Maybe he found a scroll somewhere that said that the Destiny was capable of, of regenerating dead loved ones. I don't know. He's got to know uh, something, don't you think? There's some, yeah, there's He's got to know something, something that we don't know. And I wonder maybe if he knew, if he found something and knew where the ninth Chevron address went and mm-hmm. didn't tell anybody. If there isn't something deeper there, then I think it's safe to say that we'll all be gravely disappointed in this series. There has to be something there. There has to be some reason that he's that got an agenda. Took that job. Yeah. Obviously, he's got an agenda. So the question is, when we find it out, is it going to be worth the wait? So uh, Eli goes home and sees mom. What did you yeah. think about this little little collection of scenes? This was the scene that I wanted to see. Making cookies. Well, no, not the making cookies part, but that he's pretending to be someone else. And David Blue did an excellent job in that scene. Yeah. It was very touching. I love the actress, Glennis Davies. She's played a, a couple of characters on, on Stargate, um, Catherine Langford, and um, among others. Um, oh, that's right, in 1969. Right. The biggest thing that stood out to me, I think that David Blue did a great job uh, really towing that line and trying to basically give Mom a, a verbal hug and assure her that everything was all right, but not tip his hand. I also noticed the giant can of Coca-Cola on the table. Yes. Stargate doesn't do product placement all that much, and it did it here, and it did it with Janelle Monet, big time. They have been more in this show. I mean, with with Janelle Monet and her and her record label, and uh, you know the iPods and the iPhones and all of that. They're they're definitely doing more product placement. So I think mm-hmm. that that's interesting. With a show that is in some ways more Earth based than either of the other two shows were, because we're outside of the base a lot of the yeah, time. Yeah, ironically. So, yeah, that's one of the things I love about this show. Um, I was watching the show with my friend Sean, and, and we were saying, you know, as he's going around and, and pulling chocolate chip cookies out of the correct cylinder in the cabinets, we were saying to ourselves, this woman's got to figure this out. Mm-hmm. She's got to figure it out before the end of this episode. And she didn't. Maybe she did, but I don't, I don't think so. I, we were hoping that we were going to get some sign, if not out, an outright admission. Oh, of, yeah. And then we thought about it, and it's like, you know... Someone else walks into your house, the possibility of your son being psychically in that person's body is not going to be in your top 100 <laughs> list of explanations unless he has some kind of deep-rooted characteristic thing that makes it stand out that it's him. Yeah, it's not, it's not even going to enter her mind, especially when she has trouble following Star Trek. So Eli gets to go home, and Chloe goes home again. We see Anna Galvin is back as Chloe's mom, and she's a little bit more settled now. She's been apparently dealing and grieving with the death of her husband, so she's she seems like she's a little bit more okay with the situation and taking the time she's with just Chloe that she's going to get, yeah, even if it's in somebody else's body. Wouldn't that be strange? Can you picture having a loved one back in your house? and have it be in a different person's body. Wouldn't that be bizarre? I watch this show, and I try to ask myself as many questions that the characters have to encounter as I can. Uh, And that was one of them. I mean, could you handle your wife walking through the door in someone else's body? 
and having intimate relations with her, knowing that that's her. Well, that's that's body. the huge question. That's the huge moral issue in terms of body swapping. It's not how is Chloe's mom able to to interact with her as if she's her daughter. It's it's Emily. How how is Emily willing to have sex with Everett in another man's body when sex is such a, a, a physical thing, deeply personal thing, deeply personal? So I mean, do you do you close your eyes and say, "This is my husband. This is my husband. This is my husband." Uh, the last scene may indicate that uh, Emily had been already been having an affair with Telford. Now that would be something. And your thought about Emily being transferred to the destiny inside of TJ was blown out of the water when that footage was used in the beginning of the show. Yeah, but it was all a dream. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't really TJ going after her commanding officer. Although apparently she has in the past. And I was very interested to to see that Emily was aware of that. And that seems to be one of the reasons she was freaking out so much when he went and visited her in darkness. Uh, when Young went home to see his wife in darkness was was Emily knows that TJ is stuck on that ship with him. And this is the woman that he had an affair with and then repented right. of and, and moved past. And now they're back out there together again. So it leads to the question, you know, which hopefully will be addressed in life. Are we staying or are we going? And that was another one of the things that you kind of mentioned. You were hoping that everyone would start settling in. At the end of this ep- episode, it seems like the crew is beginning to resign themselves to the fact that they're going to be on the ship for a little while. Yeah. And then they need to make a home for themselves for a little while. That we yeah. aren't going home immediately. I like that. That, that, felt, that speech felt like kind of a settling in. Do you think Telford was effectively raped? Uh I mean, this is the issue that comes up later in the season with the use of communication stones. If you have sex with somebody who is uh, using somebody else's body, does that constitute rape? Well, I mean, he's coming back at the end of that episode. So at the very end of the episode, he he returns to her. So unless this guy's theory is correct, um, then yes, it was. But I think he enjoyed it. Let me just, let me just say that. I think he did. I never thought that I'd talk about that in a Stargate podcast, but I think... It's a brand new show. I don't think he objected to what was happening. Otherwise, he would have gotten the heck out from under her. I don't know. The look on his face seemed to me more like like just surprise and shock versus taking a couple seconds to realize where he was and what was going on and then getting into it. That's all of the time that they have to do is to, to try and figure out, to, to orient themselves, and then they're pulled back into the other bodies. Yeah. I think this is a condemnation of Young. I mean, Emily has has got to have her own whole complex of issues that she's willing to do this. But I think this is a condemnation of Young because you've got to know, if you're in somebody else's body and you go go uh, commiserating with the wife, this is the risk that you run. You run the risk that somebody, even if, if uh, we don't have this FTL problem, you run the risk of somebody flipping the switch on the console. And suddenly your Pentagon. worst enemy is doing your wife. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, Young is, is right now is one of my favorite characters on the show, but I gotta say, almost it serves him right. Well, we will definitely talk more about sex with communication stones. Uh, upcoming on the podcast, I think I think our first, first show that we're going to do that's not about an episode, uh, when the show takes a break for Thanksgiving here in a few weeks, I think we're going to talk about sex on SGU. So before we get to that last shot of the episode, the last thing uh, that I wanted to talk about was... Do you think that the plan could have worked? The plan to park inside the star and dial Earth. Rush apparently just threw everybody for a loop and faked him out uh, and got him to leave. 
But uh, do you think Rush is right, or could the plan maybe have worked? No, this plan would not have worked, and I will explain why in quibbles. Okay, Rush basically uh, turned on all the alarms and bells and whistles, but uh, still remains convinced, or at least tells people that he's convinced, that the plan would not have worked and they would have all blown up. Seems like a case of of, uh, General Bauer. Mm -hmm. If you get the reference to General Bauer, he was the Mm -hmm. cranky old general who replaced Hammond in Chain Reaction and almost blew up the planet. These scientists are coming in and they kind of know what they're doing, but not really. Mm-hmm. and almost blow everything up because they don't really get it. So the final shot. This was a jaw-dropper. Boy, Huge as, implications as here. The, uh, the cliffhanger for an episode, this was a jaw-dropper. Telford shows up at Emily's house. Yes. What's going on? And you don't see her face. You don't see her reaction. Any number of, of answers. I like the suggestion by the caller that there was something going on anyway, which makes her a huge hypocrite. They may have been having an affair. Mm-hmm. That would explain a lot. The first time you saw it, what was your gut reaction as to what was going on? Is that he liked it and was going back for seconds. Going back for but if that's But if that's the case, he wouldn't have been able to pull off Colonel Young for very long. She would be able to figure him out. So the, the, the possibility that they were, having, they were having an affair before really drives that ball home. Yeah, that's an intriguing suggestion. My first response was the same. I... I thought that he was a sexual predator. He's he's going to pretend to be young. Not even necessarily just for sex, but maybe to get information. Because young is... These guys are pretty much enemies now. So maybe he's going to get something from her to try and use against young. Yeah, but that that's a thought. But I um, I got the impression when I first... When I just when I first saw it that yeah, he kind of liked what happened before and it wasn't that he's a sexual predator, but that the guy's lonely and he kind of likes this girl and if he can take a stab at Young by doing something like this to him by taking his wife from him he'll do it yeah. that's what I thought not or, that he's just in it for the sex here's another one if you want to be in the pro Telford camp he felt violated and went to confront her about you know even if she didn't know that he had returned to his body mm-hmm. that she had she had participated in this, this uh, you know you could call it rape uh, because she knew that it was his body, obviously, and mm-hmm. decided to go so ahead. I don't and do, do that, that again. Yeah, I'd kind of be interested in in uh, what listeners had to think uh, about that last scene in particular. What what's going on with Telford? What's he up to? Hugely loaded. So overall, what do you think of Earth? I think it may be my favorite episode of the series. Really? I thought it was a, a big big step forward for the show because so much of it has been kind of slow and putting the pieces out on the chessboard and. Now stuff is starting to happen. You know, the characters are being proactive. The pieces are playing with one another now. Yeah, playing with each other. Uh, you know, even if the proactive plan was, was a, an idiotic idea that uh, our heroes were attempting to stop, still, somebody's being proactive. They're taking the information that we've learned and, and, and stepping forward. Hey, we suggested it, and they executed it in the very next episode. So, Yeah, we must be paying happening. attention. Or they listened to our podcast and decided to do it the next week. Awfully quick, then, yeah. <laughs> It's time for Quibbles. Quibbles, if you are new to the show, is our new segment for Stargate Universe where we get really nerdy and pick apart the minutia of technology and story and plot and the way things work, and it's fun. My quibbles are more question quibbles in this episode. When Eli was reviewing the uh, the speech by Colonel Young, and he zoomed in to... Chloe and Scott holding hands 
was that how it was recorded or did it record the entire room and he just zoomed in in post was he there in the in the gate room with with the kino holding a remote while uh young was giving a speech and just zoomed in on their hands or was he able to do that later on does the kino collect that much information that it can zoom in like that ah you're asking a a video editor's nitpick that's interesting you're the video editor in the family Okay, so in light, we went back and recharged the ship uh, up to just under 40%, we learned. And now we are attempting to drain that power so that the ship goes back to another star. So, months worth of power, almost 40% of the ship's design capacity, was drained by firing the main weapons for... Maybe a few minutes, potentially a few hours. I would hope that it's a few hours. That was one of the questions that I wanted to know, was how long. And another answer to another one of our questions, these these uh, weapons are energy-based. Um, how long were they firing? And hopefully, you know, they were fi- firing for a good amount of time because any battle that the Destiny gets into, it's going to cut and run anytime it gets low. Oh, sorry, i got to repower. Yeah, and that's what I'm thinking of is, is battle. When this ship goes into battle and it has to use these weapons a lot... Is it going to drain 20% of its power reserves in one single fight? If they're shooting those guns for hours and hours, then that's one thing. But uh, it's kind of hard to track the timeline of this episode. It's obviously Telford is there long enough to enact this plan, and, and Young is back on Earth long enough to to uh, go home and, and have his, his reconciliation with his wife. So, I don't know. It's, it seems like it was pretty easy to me to drain the power that yeah. far. Destiny is behaving like a a five-year-old computer battery that you have to keep plugged in all the time, otherwise it's going to shut down. So the last time that a Stargate sunk into a star and was siphoning energy, in this case, siphoning matter from a star, but I think mm-hmm. it's still energy all the same. You're talking about Exodus? Exodus in Season 4 of SG-1. Uh, the star went Nova. I fear that that's what Young was alluding to. Uh, yes, it's it's fine to go in and use a star's energy to, to dial the Stargate back to Earth, but... I mean, it, that's going to take a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, of case in point, you know, when we dialed home in the Atlantis episode home, we were going to kill a lot of life forms in that process. Uh, so I really think that the energy lost inside the star would cause, an, uh, as Carter would put it, an unstable imbalance and cause the star to nova. What do you think? It's really tricky because the Stargate is inside the ship and the ship is being protected by the shields and then the ship is collecting energy and transferring it through conduits to the Stargate. So it's not like Exodus where you've got literally star star matter is falling through the event horizon. It's uh, It's protected, but it's in the middle of. So yeah, it seems like a really unstable process. I when we came up with that idea a couple of weeks ago, I felt like Destiny has got to have some sort of safeguards against that to prevent people from trying yeah. that sort of thing. And I wonder if the scientists maybe had to work their way around some security protocols. I mean, a wormhole will not translate through a star on any Milky Way Gate Plus edition. Yeah, now this is my side of the quibble. You're talking about Katow from uh-huh. Red Sky in Season 5 of SG-1. Uh, SGC basically uh, overwrote some, some of the Stargate's dialing protocols to get a lock on the planet Katow. And once they got there, they figured out that the reason that the Stargate wasn't connecting was because the wormhole at that time was passing through the Katow sun and mm-hmm. uh, caused all sorts of big problems. 
So mm-hmm. that's my quibble with what's going on with this plan is just the danger of opening up a Stargate inside of a star, even if you could get the power requirements to, to create an active wormhole and the even ship's if you systems could pull it allowed off, for it. it even if you could pull it off, you're generating a wormhole inside mm-hmm. of a star. I mean, artificial worm- singularity, isn't yeah, it's, it? It's, wormhole is, it's, uh, it's, I guess, subspace, but it still has sort of a physical A to B presence. And mm-hmm. even, if, even if it's inside of a ship protected by a shield... So it's protected from the solar matter. It's still there's a, there's some sort of subspace physical presence of a wormhole being present in that star, which I think is what you're getting at. If you can dial the stargate from inside the star, I think the best case scenario is the star goes nova, and the solar system that the destiny is in gets obliterated. That's the yeah. best case scenario. Yeah. <laughs> like the worst case scenario is you end up with solar matter being pulled into the wormhole and swept through to the destination gate and kills everyone who goes through. The other quibble that I had this episode was Eli gets to decide on the doorstep if he is telling mom his real identity or not, which means that there is no formal procedure for going to family members and disclosing what's going on and getting them to sign a non-disclosure agreement. No, they aren't even escorted. I mean, they're escorted to 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 the driveway, but that's it. Yeah, so no non-disclosure agreement for mom. That seems that like a bit really of a security seems hole. Unlikely. In our air part three show, when mm-hmm. when Chloe's mom threatened to expose the Stargate program if 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 the Air Force didn't get Chloe back to her, that sort of threat is out there. You want to minimize the amount of people who have intel on what's going on. But now apparently everybody on the ship is going to get. To to go home and visit their families and tell them, hey, I'm your son or daughter or husband or wife stuck in this person's body temporarily. Mm-hmm. And no, you don't have to sign an NDA. Mm-hmm. It seems very like a very risky thing to me. I think that's the most unrealistic thing about this show, mm. frankly. Well, that's Earth. Now that we've beaten the episode to death, you can head over to Gate World and see our full coverage. We've got a complete transcript. We've got photos and screen captures in high def from the episode. We have a review, and you can talk about it at Gate World Forum and vote in the poll to help us rate the episode. Listener mail. Hey, guys. This is Jeff from Illinois calling to talk about SGU episode Earth. I just want to say, finally an episode not dedicated to retrieving some vital element. Uh, When I first heard the episode title, I thought, oh, God, no, now they need to stop at a planet because they ran out of dirt. Uh, So I was happy to see that uh, that this was a a different episode from what we've seen before. Got to say, I was not a big fan of the communication stones. Uh, I was thinking it was way too easy of a uh, plot device to be able to talk to Homeworld Command. Now, though, I'm starting to like them. Uh, I I like the moral dilemmas that it's been presenting the characters. And just the thought of what are your responsibilities to the person's body you occupy while you're there. I know we saw in Air Part 3 Telford's disregard for uh, Young's body uh, doing further damage to it until uh, TJ had to uh, knock him out for a while. And now we get to see uh, more interesting situations. Of course, the big one was Young uh, using Telford's body to uh, sleep with his own ex. When I first saw that scene, I had to stop and wonder, why is she so willing to have sex with what should appear to her to be a stranger? Uh, in front of her. Um, but we seem to get an answer to that at the last uh, last second there in the episode when Telford uh, comes knocking on her doorstep. Of course, I have to say the best part of the stones is the uh, the interruption uh, in the connection when they're jumping in and out of uh, FTL. 
thinking about this, my take on it is that uh, these stones are doing some kind of resync for the time dilation everyone uh, keeps wondering about. Uh, I liked it though. It shows a flaw in uh, what otherwise they considered a, a perfect system. Hey guys, this is Perry down here in Alabama. I wanted to say I've been listening to a lot of the people that watch the series uh, Universe and read some of the stuff that they're posting on the website, gatewell.net. I've got to tell you, I disagree with a lot of the things that I'm reading. I feel they've gone to great lengths to create more of a personal type environment here with the series starting it off where you get to know these people more personally. You get more of an inside look into who they are, what makes them tick. And I think that that really builds on a foundation, especially when you're starting out a new series that has to follow in behind SG-1 and Atlantis. It's a hard thing to do, and I believe that they're taking it in the right direction. It reminds me a lot of uh, the, the TV series 24, which I understand the genres are different, but you know, in the same way, you, you, you develop this uh, bond, I guess you could say, with Jack Bauer and you know some of the other cast, Chloe, you know, stuff like that. And as the series goes on and on, you get more involved in what's going on rather than just having one show after another. If they have this problem and they've got to fix it in that you know quick time frame. Here, you've got this more drawn-out thing. They've been sent to the ship. Now they've got to figure out how to get control of the ship, and they've got to figure out how to get the rations they need to survive. And what makes it interesting is the fact that they've got to do all of this, but they don't have what they consider to be the proper people to do it. Hey, this is William calling from Baltimore, Maryland. This week's episode, Earth, I mean, oh my God. With all those moral dilemmas going on on this episode, I mean, it's mind-blowing. I've read somewhere that they were going to do something like that, but actually seeing it, it's something else. The look on Telford's face when he was in bed with Emily. <laughs> I mean, wow. And I love the fact that Chloe got drunk after discovering that her best friend slept with her boyfriend. I mean, they were sleeping together. I don't think that someone ever got drunk on Stargate before. Maybe they did, but I don't remember that. It's a first for me. Hi, this is Dana in Seattle. I thought that was another really great episode. I thought it was the best cliffhanger, I guess you could call it. Really creepy and, and unsettling, and I can't wait to find out what happened. feel like it's possible they won't actually let us find out for a while, but it was a really great place to leave it, and Lou Diamond Phillips is so wonderful to have on the show. The only thing that I would, I guess, criticize is that I was actually reminded of 90210 with that really pointless pop star appearance. They could have just gone to a club and not focused on the act at the club at all, and that's the sort of thing that happens on The CW. Tonight's show featured music by, and it just wasn't really necessary. The nightclub stuff with Chloe is so far away from the Stargate that I know and love that I just didn't enjoy it. I mean, my best friend is sleeping with my ex-boyfriend, and I'm so sad, and I'm going to get drunk. I did not like that part of this episode, and it made what could have been an excellent episode just just really nine hundred two one zero like it was the most nine hundred two one zero that the show has gotten, and and I I did not like it at all. This is Driscoll from San Francisco. I just caught up with your podcast this week and wanted to put in my two cents on Universe. Before the premiere, I was not a Stargate fan in the least. I had only watched the first two thirds of SG One's first season. I'm not a TV fan in general, so I was severely unaccustomed to the low production values. Air, in contrast, seemed more like a feature film. I thought it was amazing. Amazing enough to give the rest of the franchise a second chance. 
I've since caught up on SG-1 through library copies and have paid for the five seasons of Atlantis. Hey, what's up, Gate World? It's John from Tennessee calling about the episode Earth. Okay, I watch Stargate because I love science fiction. Not because I love to watch people have sex and fight over guys. Hey, if I wanted that, I'd watch Gossip Girl or Sex in the City. We need some cool science stuff. We still hardly know anything about the destiny. And the only alien we've seen is the dust light form. Practically the only shooting we've seen since the pilot is at ice. I realize sex happens. I realize girls have cat fights. It's true. But personally, that's not what I like to watch. I'm not trying to be a hater, and don't get me wrong. Overall, I love this show. I'm just kind of freaked. We're going to see a lot more of this. This is Carl from Hawaii, and I just wanted to say that uh, I finally figured out why I like Stargate Universe and none of the other Stargates. It's because of Eli, because basically Eli is me in the fact that he never gets the girls, even though the girls say that they like him and say that he's cute, but really they would like the more attractive guys. Thanks, everybody, for those voicemails. We also got a question this week asking, uh, I want to ask this to you, David, if you had the chance to rename the Destiny to call our beloved ship by another name, what would you call it? Destitute. Destitute. There's no food. There's there's barely any water. <laughs> the living conditions are bare minimum. It's the Starship Destitute. All right. Well, next week we're talking about time, and I am looking forward to this episode. This is a uh, from from all looks a classic little mind bending sci-fi premise. I sure hope it doesn't disappoint. I hope it doesn't. Earth was better than I expected, actually. Yes. When when you have lots of body swapping and, and uh, going back to uh, visit family and have emotional moments and when are you coming home and I miss my son. I did not expect to like this episode uh, nearly as much as I did. So be sure to check out Time this Friday night on Sci-Fi Channel in the U.S. It's on Space in Canada and it'll air in the U.K. on Sky One on Tuesday. And then call in the podcast hotline and tell us what you thought of the episode. The show is always better uh, when we can hear you guys talk. That number is 616-712-1647. Leave us a voicemail anytime, day or night. You will not reach a human being. And if you don't want to call a U.S.-based telephone number, you can also just record a short, concise, insightful message on your computer and email us the WAV or MP3 file. We're coming up on our last stretch of new episodes before we take the holiday break, and the holiday break extends, as far as we know, Universe is not coming back until second quarter for sci-fi next year, which will be late March or early April. So we'll have a good stretch to talk about the show and what we've seen in the first half of Season 1. So November 18th, it's time. November 25th, it's life. And then we'll have one week off of SGU. Gate World Podcast will still be here talking about sex on SGU, hopefully with a guest. And then after that, we'll come back and have one more episode of SGU to talk about in December. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks once again for tuning in. From Gate World, this is Darren. And you know who I am. And we'll see you back here next week for more of the Gate World Podcast.